Well, hello friends, great to be with you today. And it happened for the first time this week, I was in a Zoom call and two participants had their Christmas decorations up controversially early on the 25th of November. Um, but it actually, it gladdened my heart. And uh, I actually put up Christmas lights last Christmas to try and brighten things up during lockdown, remember that? Well, I put Christmas lights up on the outside of our house and then forgot to take them down in January and February and March. In fact, they're still up to this day and suddenly that's looking like a really wise move and I'm glad I don't have to put them back up again because they're already up. And so uh, I haven't actually tested to see if they work yet, but if they do, I'm a genius. And um, as we head into this Christmas season, we're going to be turning to the Bible to look at what Christmas really means. And we're going to ask a question of uh, 1 John, which is a letter in the Bible uh, written by the Apostle John, who was one of the disciples of Jesus. And in a very, very short series, we're going to be asking the, the why question of Christmas. Not the what of Christmas, but the why of Christmas. Why did Jesus come at that very first Christmas time. Why is it that we celebrate that event 2,000 years later? What's the big why behind the what? And that's what we're going to be looking at uh, together over the course of the next couple of weeks together. And knowing why is a really, really critical issue. And perhaps more than ever, people across the world are now asking the big why questions of life. And a global pandemic has kind of forced that on us as our normal habits and priorities and lifestyles have been shifted and changed and altered. Suddenly it's shocked many people into asking the big why questions of life. Why do I live this way? Why have I always made these kinds of decisions? I mean, it can be simple things like, um, why do I live in the big city when I can actually do my work online and I could live in the UK Riviera of Cornwall. And so many people have left the big city life and they've moved to the country or next to the sea because they've realized I don't actually need to be where I used to be because they've reflected on the why questions. Why are we still here? People are doing the same with spiritual matters, with faith. Many people perhaps who were cultural Christians only. They were church attenders. They had gone along with a certain Christian lifestyle for many years and yet a global pandemic has kind of broken those habits and people have taken a step back to ask the big questions. Why? Why do I do these things? And that's a good question to ask. It's important that we know why we're doing what we're doing. That's an important question. And it's the same when it comes to the gospel and when it comes to Christmas, we need to ask the big why questions. Um, Simon Sinek, who's, a, who's a, a, a writer, he wrote a brilliant book called The Power of Why. And this is what he says. He says, there are only two ways to influence human behavior. You can manipulate it or you can inspire it. Very few people or companies can clearly articulate why they do what they do. By why, I mean your purpose, cause, or belief. Why does your company exist? Why do you get out of bed every morning? And why should anyone care? People don't buy what you do, they buy why you do it. Why is an incredibly powerful question. 
And so as we look at our passage today in 1 John chapter 4, I want us to be thinking about the why question. Why did Jesus come at Christmas time? And we will circle back to that question at the conclusion of this short message. But let's read some verses in 1 John chapter 4, and we're going to read from verse 7 to verse 10. Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. And there's two kind of key lines of thought in the verses that we've just read. And I would summarize them. One is cause and one is effect. The cause is God has loved us by sending his son. And the effect is you now can love one another. Cause and effect. God loved us. We can now love one another. And so let's look at those two kind of thought lines in this passage. We'll start with the cause. God loved us. The scripture says here, God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. A few thoughts in this kind of cause part of our scripture. First, the writer says God showed how much he loved. He showed how much he loved. And this is the first truth about God's love, that God's love does actually look like something. So God's love isn't just a, a concept or a, a principle or even a, an emotion or a feeling. God's love looks like something and God shows his love. He demonstrates his love. Love has to look like something and ultimately love has to cost you. When you're in love, it costs you and it shows up in the way that you live and shows up in the decisions that you make and it's the same with God God actually shows his love he demonstrates it to us there's a, a fun, funny little anecdote that's always told about a Yorkshire couple and I can tell this because I was born in Yorkshire and so if you're listening to this and you're from Yorkshire high five I'm with you sorry about the stereotypes in this particular anecdote but the story goes about this uh, Yorkshire couple and one day the wife after 30 years of being married to her husband complained to him one day and said you never tell me that you love me anymore and his reply was and I won't do the Yorkshire accent his reply was I told you on our wedding day that I loved you if anything changes I'll let you know now that is not a good way to live and the anecdote of course is meant to demonstrate to us that love is something that continually needs to be shown and expressed to one another it's not just something you say once or demonstrate once it's something that shows up in your everyday life towards one another love looks like something in word and deed and it's the same with god god shows his love to us in so many ways you know he he, the word of God says that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. God created you. That is a demonstration of his love. 
It says that he made you in his own image and likeness. You know, he deliberately didn't make you a dolphin or a gorilla or a fish or something else in his creation. He made you a human being uniquely in his image. That is a demonstration of God's love for you. He gave you the ability to enjoy to create, to dance, to sing, to make friendships, to have a purpose in life, to make meaningful connections with people. He gave you these abilities to have compassion and to feel and express love. These are all parts of how God shows his love to us. And God reveals himself to us. This is one of the ways that he loves us, is that he doesn't keep himself hidden, but he reveals himself There are so many different ways that God shows his love, but this passage picks out perhaps the primary way that God, your heavenly father, shows his love. And it's in this next verse. It says he showed his love by sending his son into the world. This is how God shows his love. And, you know, from time to time you come across people and they're like, I just don't feel like God loves me. Don't feel like he loves me. And always the answer to that question is, well, let's look at what God had done, how he has shown his love. And the primary way that God shows his love to you and to me is that he sent his only son into the world. This is how God demonstrates his love. This is called an incarnational love. It's a love that doesn't come through uh, a, a, a pithy proverb or a saying or a parable but his love comes through a person his love shows up in the person and in fact it's God himself who shows up in the person of Jesus at that first Christmas time God shows up into the world he shows up in the midst of all the the mess and the chaos and the pain and the confusion and the complexity of our lives God didn't look from a distance he actually showed up And that's why I would suggest to you that possibly one of the worst Christmas songs ever brought out, I'm sorry Cliff Richard, was From a Distance. It's one of the worst Christmas songs ever. And you know, you may have heard the song, you know, From a Distance. And that the chorus of that song is, God is watching us, God is watching us, God is watching us from a distance. No, absolute rubbish. That is not true. It's the worst Christmas song out there because it's not true. The truth is in the Christmas message is God is watching you, but he's watching you from a stable next door. He's watching you from the house down the street. He's watching you in a carpenter's shop in a town near you. God is watching, but God is watching as one who has shown up. He's entered, not he's no longer at a distance. He's He's the kid growing up next door. God in the flesh, incarnate. God has shown up. This is how the father demonstrates his love to the world is that he shows up. He entered in himself. And this is where the Christian faith is so different to any other faith on the planet. In the Christian faith, we believe that God showed up in the flesh and walked the streets that we walk. This is amazing. This is the gospel. God came in the person of Jesus. And of course, you always judge the value of a purchase 
by what someone is willing to pay for it. You know, this Christmas time, all of us are making decisions probably about gifts that we're going to buy for for friends and family. And part of the reason that we do that is that gifts express value for people. And it's not about the monetary value, but it's about the, the thought, the attention that goes into it, that we give something that expresses value. And what we're meant to infer from the gift that the Father gives us is how great a value we must have to the Father that he would give his one and only Son for us. Jesus came for you, and this is God's demonstration of how much he loves. And then lastly, in this kind of cause section, uh, John says the reason that God sent his Son was so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. So in other words, Christ's mission in coming to the world, it wasn't just an empathy mission, it was an eternity mission. Jesus didn't just come to empathize with our feelings of weakness and pain and sickness and he did do those things. Jesus did enter into our world so that he can sympathize with the things that we go through. But it, that is not the gospel in itself. The good news is God didn't just empathize. He came to win an eternal future for you and I. And he did that by becoming a sacrifice on a cross. He died in our place so that my sin could be dealt with. And uh, sin the Bible talks about is just anything that separates us from God. Our decisions to turn our own way instead of walking God's way, that sin, those choices, says Scripture, separate us from God. In fact, Romans says that the wages of sin, the, the fruit of turning our own way instead of God's way, is death. The wages of sin is death. And ultimately, the fruit of our sin is that it separates us from God. Death is the ultimate separation. Now, I recently went to the funeral of my uh, grandmother. I'm just going to take a sip of water. And my uh, grandmother was over 100 years old when she died. She'd had a very, very good innings. And actually, it was a celebration, her funeral. But also, even though she was at that age death still feels unnatural. Death still feels like an imposter. It feels like something that shouldn't happen. That moment of separation from people where you can no longer connect, you can no longer relate, you can no longer build friendship because death has entered in. That The reason death feels so painful whenever it happens is it separates and it feels unnatural. Even though it will happen to all of us, it cuts in and somehow it feels like it shouldn't be part of creation. And the truth is, it shouldn't. When God created the world, he did not create it with death. But sin entered and death was the wage of sin. And the reason that Jesus came was to win eternity for us, to pay the wage of sin. He dies our death. He died the death of sin in order that we might receive eternal life through him. So the reason Jesus came wasn't just an empathy mission, it was an eternity mission. So that by believing in him, you and I would have the gift 
of eternal life through him. I love those words of the hymn we often sing, the carol, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. One of the lines says this, Mild he lays his glory by, born that man no more may die, born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth. This is the why of Christmas. The cause is God's love for us in Jesus. He came, he laid his glory by so that man no more may die. He was, he had a first birth at that first Christmas time that you and I might have a second birth. His incarnation is for our regeneration. And this is the glory of the gospel. This is the love of God. This is the cause. So what's the effect? Well, Scripture says this, dear friends, let us continue to love one another. So the first effect is that we are enabled not just to love one another because of God's love for us, but we're able to continue to love one another. It's a love that continues. And this is the truth about love is love isn't just a fluffy, wuffy feeling. Love is a choice that has to keep being made. And the inference of this passage is that God continues to make that choice about us. He continues to love us from eternity to eternity. His love is stronger than death. It goes from everlasting to everlasting. God continually chooses to love us. And the inference of this passage is because God loves us in that way, we can now love each other in that way also. Love is not just part of his nature, it's also part of his daily choice towards us. How are you doing on that? How are you doing in your choices to continually love other people just as you have been loved by God? You know, I know my own marriage, you know, what I love after nearly 25 years of marriage is I still am in love with my wife. I love her. I look forward to being with her. I love her company. I find her funny. I, I love to share my life with her. I am still in love with her. But the truth is that fruit is the result of choices continually that we make towards one another. Love is not just a feeling, it is also a choice. It's a choice to keep choosing one another and to love one another. And that's why throughout the years we've had to have moments where we've had to work on love and we've had to go to God to top up our love for one another. We've had to make courageous decisions. You know, I remember even early in courtship, uh, one day Carol secretly praying without my knowledge, God, I just want Phil to have a laugh with me. And she just felt like our relationship had got a bit serious and that I was a bit serious. And what she didn't know is at the same time I was praying and I just felt the Holy Spirit one day whisper to me, said, Phil, I just want you to have a laugh with Carol. You need to have more fun. And so the next day when I saw her, I said, listen, I was praying. I just felt God said, we need to have more fun. And she's like, that's exactly what I've been asking God for. And suddenly we had a moment where God did something in our relationship as we made choices to step towards one another in that area. So God's love enables us to continue to love one another. And the way he does that is that he supplies us with the love that he has. And scripture here goes on to say, anyone who loves is a child of God and knows love. Ultimately, what this tells us is that love is the fruit of us walking with God as his children. 
Because when we walk with God, we become like him. Whatever you behold, you become like. And when you walk with God, you cannot help have your character shaped to become more like him, which is why the best antidote to you perhaps struggling to love or struggling to forgive or struggling to step towards someone, the best antidote is get with Jesus. Because when you're with Jesus, he will change you and pour his love into your heart for other people. And this is what John is saying. He said, actually, love is a fruit that shows that we are children of God and that we know him. Proximity to God makes us loving people because God changes us as we walk with him. And that's why ultimately all sin is a fruit of dissatisfaction in God. You know, if you're struggling with sin, if you're struggling to love others or struggling with addictions or struggling to make great choices, I would hazard a guess that the fruit of that difficulty is that you're not really walking with Jesus. Because when you walk with Jesus and you fall in love with him, he supplies the grace that you need for all other areas of life. Love is a fruit of being a child of God and of knowing him. So there we have it. Cause and effect. God loves us and he enables us to continually love one another. So in conclusion, let's come back to our question. The why of Christmas. Why did Jesus come? Well, we can sum it up with this one word, love. Jesus came at Christmas time to show the nature of God's love towards us, that we in turn would demonstrate that love to one another. The message of Christmas is that God loves you. Enjoy that truth, believe that truth, and live it out in your relationships to one another. Amen.